Hi, everybody. All right, so I'm excited. We are going to continue in Philippians today. Although I have to admit that my friend Louie kind of stole my thunder last week because we did not tell him we were in Philippians when he picked out his passage. Okay, so to me, it seems like the Holy Spirit may have something to say to us from Philippians chapter 3, right? Um, Because, yeah, we didn't specifically ask Louie to speak from Philippians, but I guess God did. So isn't that amazing that the Holy Spirit can direct people? So we're going to start this morning by reviewing, um, just a little review here. So two weeks ago, Tyler finished our study from Philippians chapter 2, and he encouraged us to focus on building Christ's church, to focus on the church and the kingdom as a whole, and not only on ourselves, not on our own little kingdom or the church here at Modesto Foursquare, but the entire church across the globe. And he shared about generosity in the church, not only financial generosity, but even more so in the personnel department, right? So he used these examples of Epaphroditus and of Timothy and how there was trading of people, sharing of resources of these gifted people who were um, traveling from church to church. And there wasn't like a clutching on to these people, but there was a sharing that was happening there. And Paul's gratitude for the Philippians' generosity is going to become even more clear as we read chapter 4, but we'll get there. We're not there yet. So in the next few weeks, we'll get to chapter 4 and we'll see even more of Paul's gratitude for the generosity. Um, And then Tyler left us with three questions. He asked us, where does God want more of our hearts? And then secondly, where can we be more open to going and doing the word of God in the kingdom? And then lastly, he asked, how can we be listening for Jesus? And he said that Jesus is calling us to a deeper level of surrender. And I think that we'll see that in today's passage as well, that deeper level of surrender. And then last week, we had the privilege of hosting Louie and Joni Locke from Reno here, And Louis shared a message from Philippians chapter 3. He skipped verses 1 through 6, so we're going to hit those today. But he shared from Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. And I wish I could tell you to listen online, but we had a malfunction with our recording. But still, shout out to the sound and media team back there, right? Sound and media. You guys don't get appreciated enough, really. So even when we have a malfunction with our soundboard and we don't get a recording, that's okay. They're still doing a great job. But I wish I could tell you to go back and listen because um, Louis shared just such a great message about pressing on toward the goal, that there's more ahead for us all. And I know that I've called Philippians the joy letter, but it seems like this idea of more being ahead keeps coming up over and over again. It seems like the Holy Spirit keeps leading us to think about what the future is for all of us. And Louis shared... That for Paul, knowing Jesus was greater than everything else. And that's a point that I'll reiterate today, teaching from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Paul tells the Philippians to forget the past. And Louis reminded us that we don't just forget the bad stuff in our past. That Paul's even telling us we should be forgetful of the good stuff in order to move forward. And then finally, Louis encouraged us to press on toward maturity in Christ and that flexibility is part of that maturity. 
I'm just really grateful for this message that he gave because it confirms a lot of what I heard the Lord say for today. All right, so I'm wondering if we have any dog people here in the room. Any dog people? You can actually raise your hand if you like. Yeah, I have a dog. Um, her name is Darcy, and we got her about 10 years ago. She's super sweet and friendly, um, but I have to admit that it was a lot easier to love her and take care of her before we had kids, and especially before her barking at the mailman, like, would wake up Silas, right? Like, now it's frustrating. Like, if she's inside and she's barking at the mailman and then the baby wakes up. Anyway, it was easier to love our dog before, but we try to do our best with her. Um, my message today is titled, Beware the Dogs, You Could Become One. And the reason for this is because Paul uses the word dog in verse 2 during this outburst. It's kind of unlike the tone and the language for the entire rest of the letter. He has just this kind of fiery outburst in verse 2, and he uses the word dog there. And Karen Salinas isn't here today, but I am like her in that I'm a word nerd. I, I really like words, and I like the origins of different languages and phrases, and I also like a good pun, okay? So I just went with the whole dog theme today. So you're going you're gonna to see that I use some, like, idioms to make my points today. Um, so we're just going to go with the dog theme. So in our reading for today, Paul is going to warn the Philippians against people who would distract them from following what Jesus is really all about. He says, don't listen to them, beware of them. And I think that in the process, Paul is also implying that if they do listen, if they do fall into what they're being warned against, they could become just like them. If we do give in to the dogs, we can become dogs. So we're going to read in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. Verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is, from, that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul begins this chapter by telling everyone to do what I've already said is the theme of this whole letter, rejoice. And I think that's kind of a tag on to the chapter two things. He wants them to be full of joy and to be glad because Epaphroditus, can you rewind that? Everybody rewind that. Okay. Epaphroditus has returned to them, right? This man who was part of their congregation and they sent out to Paul and encouraged Paul there in Rome where he's in prison. Is he in Rome? Where he's in prison. He's in prison, right? And so Epaphroditus has been there, and Epaphroditus almost died, right? And so Paul's telling them, rejoice, rejoice that Epaphroditus is alive, and also that I'm sending him back to you. Um, Rejoice, be glad. And then Paul starts in on, I think, one of his first points here. And it's a reminder of something he's told them before. We don't have it here in the text. It's not in the letter, but obviously he's told them this before. He's saying, I'm repeating myself here. I know I'm repeating myself, but it's okay. It's a safeguard for you. You need to know this. And his first point is, beware the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators. So here in the United States, I asked if there were dog people here. Many of us keep dogs as pets, right? And people in Israel at this time, they may have kept them as pets too occasionally or for herding or for safety, but dogs would also prowl the streets. They would be kind of vicious and and go out in herds, and they might have terrorized people a little bit on the streets. And so calling someone a dog is not a good thing. This term was actually used by Jews to refer to Gentiles. So it's kind of funny to me that Paul is turning this insult on its head. He's, He's calling the Jews dogs in this section. Um, Evil workers would be those people who stir up arguments and disagreements, right? And then Paul, he uses this word mutilators. So he uses three descriptors, three different ways of saying the same thing. Um, They're for the same group of people, and it was likely a similar group to the ones that Paul warns other churches about in Galatians or in Romans. He's warning against people who would tell these new Gentile believers that they have to be circumcised in order to really follow Jesus. And Paul is saying, don't be swayed or deceived into thinking that this legalism is the true way of Christ. And especially especially with that word mutilators, he's basically saying that these legalists, they've been cut, but that's all. They've been cut, but, but it's actually just a mutilation because they aren't truly circumcised in their hearts. They aren't truly following the way of Christ. And so Paul's second point is this, we are the true circumcision. So Paul tells the Philippians and us, don't let anyone tell you otherwise 
We're the true circumcision. And many of these believers, they weren't physically circumcised at all. I'm a woman. I can't be circumcised, right? So can I follow Jesus? Yes. But Paul, he gives them the characteristics of what, of what someone who's really circumcised in the heart has. The characteristics of a true follower of Jesus is first that they serve God by his spirit. They're led by the spirit in ministry and in worship. Secondly, they boast or glory in Christ. They rely on what Christ has done for them, not on their own works. And then third, they have no confidence in the flesh. So they don't put their confidence in their human effort. And I think I try to stay away from assuming that when something is true in Scripture that the inverse is false all the time. That doesn't always work. But I think that this in this case, it makes sense. I think Paul is also implying that these people who are just mutilators, that have just been cut and don't really understand the true heart, like if, if we're led by the Spirit, then they're led by the flesh, right? If they're boasting, if we boast in glory in Christ, then perhaps this other group, these dogs, are boasting and glorying in themselves. And if if we are to have no confidence in our flesh, then maybe these, these others were putting a lot of confidence in themselves and in um, their status and in, in the things that they did. And so the third point here is that um, I, meaning Paul, I actually have the most reason for confidence, Right? So Paul goes into this extremely autobiographical section, and he shares with the Philippians why he has all the reasons in the world to be confident in his flesh. And so first he gives us kind of his birthright reasons, right? He gives us his pedigree, his ancestry, and his resume. And the pedigree part kind of fits our dog theme, right? Purebred dogs, they need their certifications. And so these are Paul's like purebred certifications. And these are why he has bragging rights from his very birth. He was circumcised on the eighth day as he should have been. He's from the stock of Israel. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, which in this case means that he's not been Hellenized. He is not one of those Jews who has been influenced by the Greeks and is now more Greek than Jew. He is a true Jew. And not only this, but Paul's confidence, it goes even further, not just from his birthright, but he's a Pharisee, which at this time would be a good thing, right? A teacher of the law, an expert. And he didn't just say he believed. He says that in his zeal, he persecuted the church, right? He believed it so deeply that he didn't just have it up here. He had it in his actions. I care and believe this so much that I'm going to shut down Christianity. And so before coming to Christ, Paul's resume in the eyes of the Jewish world was impeccable. And still, he says that true believers should have no confidence in the flesh, which brings us to Paul's fourth point. All of this stacks up to a heap of dog dung. Louis said it last week. I'm going to say it again this week. This word that we've tamed and that we've translated as garbage or rubbish or trash 
it really means refuse or excrement. I don't know if it's dog poop, but it's something, right? Paul says that he counts everything, all of his resume, everything that would have been a gain or an advantage for him, all of that is loss. And he doesn't call himself a dog here, but I think that he would agree that if he looked back to his time before Christ, he was equally missing it, right? He didn't know. He had no clue. He was as bad or worse than the people that he's warning the Philippians against. And so the fifth point that Paul makes here is that knowing Christ matters most. He says that knowing Jesus far surpasses everything that he once thought mattered. And he says he wants to know Christ fully. And he lists several of these ways that um, he can not only know about Jesus, but truly know him. Right? He wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. What does that mean for us to know the power of Christ's resurrection? Does anybody... I mean, honest, honest to goodness, even with Jesus, sometimes feel a little dead inside. Sometimes, right? Sometimes we still feel a little bit lifeless. And, and Paul wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection, that Jesus is alive, alive, but alive in us. We're not dead inside Jesus is alive. And then Paul wants to participate. That word participate, again, is that word koinonia, fellowship. Participation in, in this mission, in this forward motion. Paul wants to participate in Christ's sufferings. Ouch. And Paul set a great example of that of participating in Christ's sufferings, counting everything as loss. He wasn't self-preserving, right? He didn't try to protect himself anymore. He wanted to get the, the message of who Jesus is out. Participating in Christ's sufferings. And then he says he wants to be like Christ to death. And so knowing that everything he had before is garbage, Paul presses on to the goal, and he takes hold of Christ and takes hold of the future that he has with Jesus. When I think about this, about everything else being garbage or rubbish or trash, of it all just kind of stacking up to a heap and that knowing Jesus matters most, I think about um, this idea that the way of Jesus is a better way. Like, what better way is there than following Jesus in this life, right? But I think Paul is saying to us, it's not only a better way, it's the only way. This isn't just a better way. It's not an alternative life to, like, whatever you did before Christ. Like, it's not that we just get a little measure of something better by walking away from sin and walking toward Jesus. This is the only way to have true life. It's the only way. And sometimes I think that we need to look back and we need to audit our lives. We need to kind of do an internal uh, 
calculation to figure out what we're really living for and what matters to us. And this is what Paul has done. He has looked back at all of the things that he thought mattered, his entire resume, and he's decided those all equal zero for me. And Jesus is 100, 1,000, 1 million. He's the only thing for me, my only goal. I am bankrupt without Jesus. Are we bankrupt without Jesus? Sometimes I think I have a lot of dollars in the bank still on my own. And I forget that I have nothing without him. So those were Paul's five points. And today I want to take those and I want to figure out how we can apply them to our lives. And so here's where your dog puns come in. So the application section, how do we avoid becoming a dog? So how to avoid it, number one, quit the dog and pony show and find yourself in Christ. So maybe you haven't heard this phrase before, and that's okay, but basically a dog and pony show, if you haven't heard it, is like an event that's meant to impress, right? I also think about the phrase, put on the dog. I don't think that one's used as often, but put on the dog can mean like to dress up. And so like Paul, I think that in order to not become a naysayer, not to become a legalist, not to become somebody who just says one thing and doesn't really live it out, we have to quit our performative Christianity. We have to stop putting on a show. We have to stop printing out our resumes and relying on our pedigree or our upbringing. Instead, we have to reevaluate everything to figure out what matters to us. And can we honestly say that we would count everything else as loss compared to knowing Christ? How often... I'm including myself here. How often do we put on a show for other people? Or maybe we even put that show on for Jesus. We think that he's okay with our show or is asking for a show. There's a section in the Old Testament, and I can't think of where it is right now, but about like clanging symbols and, and your festivals. Like Jesus says, I want your heart. The Lord says, I'm, I'm kind of sick of your show. <laughs> he really does. Jesus is not being tricked by our show. How often do we put on a show for other people? How often we, do we put a show on for Jesus out of obligation instead of out of love and joy? I want to ask us, Today, how light and free does your relationship with Jesus feel? Because I, I think Jesus wants your relationship with him to be light and free. To avoid becoming a dog, we have to let go of our performance and even more so any entitlement we might have in our relationship with Christ. And we have to find ourselves in Jesus alone. And then the second way that we can avoid becoming a dog, we have to abandon the dog days of summer and press on. 
So this is another phrase or idiom that you may or may not have heard. The dog days of summer, it refers to the hottest days of the year. And I didn't realize it can also refer to a period of time that's inactive or maybe even in decline. Which, that makes sense to me because I think about, I don't know about you, when it's 115 degrees outside, I'm super lazy and sluggish, right? So the dog days, hot days, they can make us inactive. They can make us sluggish. And I think inactive is kind of an understatement. Paul tells us in this passage to forget the past. And Pastor Louie last week reminded us that that doesn't just include all of our bad behavior. It's super easy for me to want to forget my bad behavior, right? Of course I don't want to remember who I was before I was wholeheartedly following Jesus. Of course I don't want to remember I don't know, screaming at my kids two weeks ago or any area of sin that I have from my past. I want to forget that. But we're to be forgetful even of what is good because sometimes the good is us padding our resume again, right? It's us making this long list of, hey, look at me. I've done pretty good in my relationship with Jesus. We're to be forgetful of even what is good. Now, if we look back at the Old Testament and we think about Deuteronomy or some of these sections of Scripture where the Israelites have been pulled out of Egypt and they've been rescued, the Lord repeats over and over and over again the word remember. So I don't think that Paul is telling us to never remember the good things that Jesus has done in our lives. We are to rehearse the story of what Christ has done over and over and over to ourselves. We're to preach the gospel to ourselves. I think what Paul is saying and what I'm hearing from the Lord for us is that we can't ever stop praising praising God for what he's done in the past But we also need to remember that God is always active. He is never inactive. He is never in decline. He is always on the up. And sometimes, I don't know about you, please don't take this as a criticism of Modesto Foursquare as a whole, but in my heart, I can become so focused on my past, I can reminisce or think about the good old days for myself, that I come to a point of inactivity or I come to a point where I think that's all Jesus did and maybe that's all he'll do. Maybe what he did in the past is kind of all he has for me. And that's not true. We can come to a point where we reminisce and remember so much that we atrophy. We stop. We don't move anymore, or we, co- we become hopeless, and we don't see the hopeful, joyful, loving future that the Lord has for us. We don't continue to press on toward the goal that Paul says, Jesus took hold of us for some reason, right? There's a reason Jesus took hold of us. There's a reason he's called us heavenward, and we have to press on toward that. And Paul says he hasn't obtained it. He's not gotten it all. He's not reached the goal. 
but he's still fighting and pushing toward the things that he's been called to in Christ. And he's telling the Philippians to keep going, keep pushing, keep your eyes focused on who Jesus is and that everything from before is nothing compared to who he is right now and where he's calling us. And so, finding ourselves in Jesus and pressing on, those are the two ways that we can continue to focus on doing what Jesus has asked us to do. And our passage today, it warns us to shut down the voices of the dogs, the evildoers and the mutilators. But if you're like me and you've been a Christian for a while, you might start hearing the words of a dog coming out of your own mouth. Um, And here's an example. I was sitting in my office a few weeks ago, and I saw my graduate diploma resting on the wall, and then I saw all of my books kind of sitting out for my master's degree. And am I proud of that accomplishment? Yeah. Did Did my education equip me for ministry? It sure did. But I also realized that looking around the room, I still fairly often rely on my own abilities. I still fairly often seek out um, confidence from my qualifications or from my degrees or from my resume. And Paul would say that's all worthless in comparison to what I already have, which is Jesus. The Lord reminded me this weekend um, that my number one calling is not to be a pastor or to even be a wife or a mother. My number one calling is that I'm a daughter of God. So if I lose sight of that, I lose everything. I lose everything else. If I decide to focus on roles or responsibilities or resumes more than I focus on my identity in Jesus. And that's true for all of us. So as we close today, um, we're going to sing one more song. And it's all about how we desperately need Jesus' love. And it's all about recognizing his closeness and his care for us. Jesus is near. He's never left us. Christmas is coming up. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the God who is with us. And he sends his Holy Spirit to be like indwell us. The Holy Spirit is within us. And so as we sing today, I want us to ask ourselves a few questions. I want us to ask ourselves, where am I putting on a show or performing? And then where am I holding on to the past, bad or good? And then I want us to take some time to repent Take some time to tell Jesus that you want to live differently, that, you, that we don't want to be performing, that we don't want to be putting on a show, that we want to find his true heart and be with him in that. Let's take some time to, to tell the Lord that we're so grateful for what he's done in the past, but that we don't want to live in the past. We want to live here in the present, and we want him speaking to us for the future. And then 
I want us to ask the same question that Tyler posed a few weeks ago. Where is Jesus asking for more of my heart? Where is he calling me to deeper surrender? And as we pray and we sing, um, the space up here at the front will be open. Please feel free to come up just as a symbol of that repentance and surrender. And if you'd like prayer for anything, turn to a friend in the room. I truly believe that we're all called to minister, right? We're called to be ministers. That's what Jesus has called us to do. And so we can pray for one another this morning for healing, for surrender, for repentance. Um, we can do that in our own hearts, and then we can ask for one another to come, come alongside us. Um, the Bible tells us to confess one to another. Maybe you have something you need to confess to a brother or sister here in this room for your own life, like relationally between you two, but also there's power in confessing something that you made a, made a commitment to with God and sharing that with another person as well. And there may be people in this room who are, feeling, who are feeling stirred or ready to surrender to Jesus maybe for the very, very first time this morning. And so if that's you, I just want to make sure that you don't leave this morning without responding to that call. And so I would ask that you come up and you pray with Pastor Tyler this morning if, if today is your first time of making that step of following Jesus or find another leader here. And let's start that relationship today. Yeah, so as we sing, just to remind us, we're going to spend some time praying about where we're, where we're performing or holding on to the past. Let's repent of those. And then let's ask the Lord where he wants more of our hearts and a deeper level of surrender today.